Well, thank you very much. I wasn't here last week. I was at my mother-in-law's birthday party. Happy birthday, mother-in-law. She's over there. Um, but it's so good to be together. It's so good to be in this space. It, honestly, it feels like I'm a big kid again because I grew up in a church like this, in a big church building, and uh, it just makes me want to run around and hide again. It makes me want to stay afterwards and wait till it goes dark and play hide-and-seek. Not that we're going to do that, Bexminster people. We're not going to do that. But it makes me want to do it. It's so exciting. Um, so today I'm going to be speaking from Mark 3, 7 to 19, if you want to find it in your Bibles. Um, carrying on with our, our study of Mark. So I'll give you a second and then I'll read it out. So, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, if that's how you say it, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When a great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those who he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name something, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So to begin, let's take stock. Where are we at so far in the Gospel of Mark? Well, Jesus is now at a pivotal point in his ministry. Uh, So far, he has offended off... uh, the traditions of the religious leadership, uh, and they are starting to plot his destruction. He has royally peed them off. Uh, and then he also um, has great crowds following him from Galilee, from Judea, from Jerusalem, from Idumea? Idumea? Idumea, almost. And from beyond the Jordan, and from Tyre and Sidon. Uh, And and because he was doing such incredible things, he was working miracles, he was healing, he was casting out demons. However, these great crowds, um, they weren't always potentially interested in Jesus, but they were more considered in what Jesus could do for them, and they could be quite quickly turned against Jesus. As a side note, um, sometimes I think that all the world needs is Jesus, or at least I have thought this in the past, all the world needs is um, 
sorry, not just Jesus. All the world does need is Jesus, but all the world needs is the right representation of Jesus, and then they will become saved. I used to think this quite a lot. I used to think that um, the gospel, as long as it's attractive, will get people to Christ. In fact, um, I used to think that as long as a church has, you know, if a church has an amazing social media, if they do hip, cool videos like Graham does, uh, and then if, you know, if, if everyone engages with the social media, then I used to think that everyone would flock to the church. I used to think that the gospel is so attractive that as long as we presented it properly, then everyone would long for Jesus. However, as we see with the, the crowds of people that are following Jesus, that um, people, they, they want, they, sorry, with their focus on Jesus, it's what they want, not necessarily him. Uh, the gospel actually should offend us. It should offend our very fiber. Uh, David Guzik says, it's wonderful for people to be attracted to Jesus, but if their focus is on what he can do for them instead of who he is, they will not follow him for long. And we see the fickleness of humanity in the crowds that follow Jesus. They are easily swayed against him. So what does Jesus do at this point now? He goes up to a mountain and prays, as we read in Luke. We see this over and over again in Jesus' ministry. When stuff goes wrong or problems arise, Jesus takes himself off to pray. And I know Graham spoke about this a couple of months ago, but there's an obvious application here. When stuff goes wrong, what do we do? I know I like to just not think about stuff. When stuff goes wrong in my life, I just like to pretend it hasn't happened and just chill out and drink a beer and pretend like the world is dandy, even though it might not be. I, uh, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but I know my wife, if stuff goes wrong, she likes to clean, which is great for me because the house, you know, the house is suddenly tidy. But what do we do when stuff goes wrong? Well, Jesus takes himself off to pray. And in fact, as we read in Luke, he prays for the whole night. I don't think I've ever prayed a night through. I think I tried once, and I fell asleep at about 10.30, so there we go. I woke up at two, went for a wee, straight back to sleep. Um, but no, he prays for the whole night, and after his night's prayer, he decides that he is going to appoint the apostles. So just as Joseph goes, uh, sorry, just as Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the law, now Jesus goes up to the top of the mountain and he prays and he chooses who he will entrust his teachings to spread the gospel. Uh, before we quickly go on to uh, who, the, who these apostles were and what they were like, um, I just want to quickly note, why did Jesus silence the demons? So if we read... Um, that Jesus is going out and he's healing all these people and so many people are coming to him. Uh, and it says, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them to not make him known. So he's going around and preaching and casting out demons and healing the sick and he goes around declaring the kingdom of God and that it's here. So why does Jesus want to silence this advertisement we have these people that are freely shouting out who he is. So why does he want to silence them? 
Far from denying his identity as the Messiah, Jesus was aware that the people, even the disciples, did not yet understand that he came to die on the cross for sin. They were awaiting the appearance of the Messiah as the conqueror who would free the Jews from the Roman oppression. If the crowds attempted to press him into service in such a way, his mission and message would be compromised. And we kind of see this throughout Jesus' ministry. He is constantly both revealing himself and concealing himself and his identity so the plans of his death, death and resurrection would not be stopped. But after his death and resurrection, they would still understand who he was. It's why he used to speak in parables quite a lot. He was constantly revealing but concealing himself till he could be revealed at the proper time. So anyway, Jesus goes up the mountain, he prays, and then he appoints his 12 apostles. He's already got disciples, and we already see this. He, he, um, he instructs his disciples to prepare a boat for him. Uh, so he's, always got his, he's already got his disciples, and he's already got lots of them. In Luke uh, 10, we hear, out, we hear that Jesus sends out 70 of his disciples um, to go out into every city. But out of all of his disciples, he decides to appoint apostles. Uh, what does this word mean, apostle? Uh, it translates to be uh, sent one. Uh, apostolos is the word in, in Greek. I've said that right, haven't I? He gets nervous whenever Graham's watching him because Graham speaks Greek a lot better than I kind of did. Um, but yeah, apostle, the word apostle. And it's kind of a word that carries much confusion today. Uh, and is, while used quite widely, is interpreted quite differently by our different brothers and sisters uh, within Christianity. However, he calls them apostles, his sent ones, and he qualifies them with these three uh, things, these three distinctions. He says that his apostles are called by himself. He calls them himself that they live alongside him, so they spend time with him. And these 12 people are the people that he invites into his like, inner circle, if we want to call it that. They're his, his best buds. Um, I saw something the other day that said that it was so weird that there was a bloke in his 30s that had 12 mates. <laughs> but Yeah, but he did. Um, they live alongside him, and you know, not to use all the, the fancy Christianese, but they do life with him, and they're intentional, and yada, yada, yada. They, they have their brotherhood. But no, they spend time with him, and they get to know who he is, and he's in their life, and they're in his. And then the third um, distinction, the third uh, qualification for these apostles is that Jesus gives them specifically spiritual authority. He gives them authority to preach, gives them authority to heal the sick. He gives them spiritual authority to cast out demons. And we now know that these 12 men were used to lay the foundations for the global church we are in today. The 12 apostles held a unique position in referring to the new Jerusalem. Revelation states, the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 apostles are also referred to in, uh, and I'll, I've got loads of verses there, but you can read it in my notes because I won't bother reading them out. Um, it was these 12 apostles who were the first messengers of the gospel after the death and resurrection of 
Jesus Christ. It was these 12 apostles who were the foundation of the church, with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Uh, I'm just going to read a quick quote by Matthew Henry. He says about the apostles that he ordained them, uh, probably by the imposition of hands, which was a ceremony used among the Jews, that they should be with him constantly to be witness of his doctrine, manner of life, and patience, that they might fully know it and be able to give an account of it, and especially that they might attest the truth of his miracles. They must be with him to receive further instruction, that they might be qualified to give instructions to others. It would require time to fit them in for that which he designed for them, for they must be sent forth to preach, not preach till they were sent, and not to be sent till by a long and intimate acquaintance with Christ they were fitted. And he notes that Christian ministers must be much with him. Uh, so why 12? Why 12 apostles? Why not 13? Why not 11? Why not 3? Why not 70? Um, well, uh, 12 is symbolic for the tribes of Israel. And it brings this kind of completion of the 12 tribes of Israel that each tribe has their leader for the new Jerusalem, for the new Israel. And I'm now going to go through all of the 12 apostles, and we're going to find out a little bit of information, maybe their juicy history, maybe, you know, whatever. Um, so, first of all, uh, we have Simon, or Simon Peter, um, and he's kind of like the big cheese, he's like the big deal, he's the ones that everyone loves, especially the Catholics. Um, and, and so he's, he's called Simon, but... Jesus gives him a nickname. Jesus likes giving nicknames. Uh, I like giving nicknames, so I can identify with that. But he likes giving nicknames, and he gives um, Simon the nickname uh, Cephas, which uh, means Peter. Uh, and it means rock. And I think, to be honest, Peter didn't have a clue what Jesus was on about. But you don't argue with Jesus, or at least I wouldn't. So he's just going to go along with this name. Uh, but it speaks to, it's like a prophetic nickname, if you like, of what he's going to be. He's going to be the rock of this church, uh, of the global church, and we see this going on. Uh, what else do we know about Peter? Um, he's written some of our books of the Bible, uh, or at least um, the words that he's spoken have been written down. Um, we see the letters of Peter, Peter 1 and 2, and in fact, they reckon, and we kind of heard Graham speaking about this, that the whole Gospel of Mark uh, was Peter's account of Jesus' life and ministry penned down by Mark the Evangelist. Uh, what else? He used to be a fisherman. Quite a few of the disciples, the apostles, used to be fishermen, but Peter used to be a fisherman, and he was married, which is cool. I think I never used to think that any of the apostles would be married. I thought they'd all be celibate and walking around with bald patches and tunics and all the like. But no, he was married. He had a wife, potentially kids. Um, he's known in the Gospels for warting on water. He's known for disowning Jesus to avoid persecution. He's known for addressing the crowd at Pentecost. 
He's known for envisioning. He's known for being the person that saw that the church should be full, should include Jews and Gentiles together. And he's known for being a pillar of the church, the rock on which the church was built. Uh, and he was part of Jesus' special three mates. He had his 12 mates, but he had his like inner, inner circle, uh, which was formed of him, James, and John. Uh, and they were the three to witness his transfiguration uh, on the mountaintop when he goes back up. Uh, so next, we have James, the son of Zebedee. Uh, him and his brother, John, uh, were also, uh, they had a little nickname that Jesus gave them, which was the Sons of Thunder. Now, that's a pretty cool, that's a pretty cool nickname for Jesus to give you. I, I want that. I don't think I qualify. I think I'm a bit too saft for that, to be honest. But I think I'd love Peter, son of thunder. That'd be cool. Um, unfortunately, the Bible just doesn't really give us much uh, indication of what the sons of thunder mean. It could be that they were really good preachers. It could mean that they had quite violent tempers. Um, but one thing it does show us is that they ask Jesus um, if they should call down fire from heaven to destroy a village when it showed them, when they sh- failed to show them hospitality. So I kind of think it was probably that had quite violent temperaments. But they are the apostles, so I'm sure the Lord worked mightily in them. Uh, they also asked, uh, James also asked, if he could sit on either side of Jesus' throne in heaven and unwittingly then promised to follow Jesus into martyrdom, which then he was uh, martyred by Herod in Acts 12, 2. And he's the only disciple whose martyrdom is actually listed in the Bible. And then we've also got his brother John, who's also listed as the son of thunder. um, And he is listed as the disciple that Jesus loved. John wrote more of the New Testament than any other disciple, so he wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, he, or it's reckoned, he kind of did, I think he did at least, um, but it's reckoned that he wrote the Gospel of John, uh, 1 John, which we've just studied, 2 John, 3 John, and also Revelation. So he penned more of the New Testament than any other disciple, and he was also a fisherman. Who else do we got? That, these, those three were probably the disciples we know the most about apart from uh, Judas, but we also have Andrew, who was a brother of Peter, also a fisherman, uh, and he, before he was a disciple of Jesus, was a disciple of John the Baptist, which I think is really interesting. Um, I think as a kid, I always used to just think that these were just random guys that Jesus was walking past, and he was like, you. Um, I had um, this idea that Jesus was going to come back and that I would be sat at work and Jesus would walk past me and just go, you, and I would be his disciple in the second coming. But I'm not sure it's quite going to work like that. Uh, and then we have Philip. Um, not, not much is really known about Philip, um, but that he was from Bethsaida, just like uh, Peter and Andrew were. Uh, we have Bartholomew, who is also known as Nathaniel. Um, in, in each of the Gospels, uh, it can be quite confusing because it lists them with all their different names. 
sometimes people like to say that this is showing that the Bible is inaccurate, but it was more common back then for people to have other names. Um, sometimes they had a name that meant that they were the son of something, so like Barabbas, um, that Bar means like son of, so Barabbas means son of the father, um, and quite a lot of these names, Bartholomew, um, Bar, a lot of these names that people have like are significant in a certain way, so often people had quite a few different names, so why we have Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, uh, then we have Matthew, um, who was also known as Levi, and he was a tax collector, uh, which was one of the most reviled professions in the first century Judaism. Um, the fact that he was a tax collector would be enough to make him feel like a political traitor. His profession was a symbol of Israel's Roman occupation. Uh, the Jews thought that they should uh, be the rulers of themselves and hated their Roman occupation. And they believed that their Messiah would come and free them from this Roman occupation. Um, but to make matters worse, tax collectors also made their money by kind of lying about how much tax people owned. And they would just big up the number and then skim off the profit. Um, so along with prostitutes, tax collectors were kind of considers, uh, considered as the worst kinds of sinners. Uh, but yet Jesus chooses him. We have uh, Thomas, Doubting Thomas, another unfortunate nickname uh, that he was given. Uh, and then we have James, the son of Alphaeus. Uh, he, it's kind of unclear. He might have been Jesus' brother. He might have been another character called James the Less, an even more unfortunate nickname. Um, and these three people might also be all the same person, but we're not entirely sure. Uh, we have um, Thaddeus, otherwise known as Jude or Judas or Labias, too many names. Um, and again, it's probably most probable, potentially, that he was the brother of Jesus and authored the book of Jude. Uh, we have two more, two more, almost there. We have Simon the Zealot. Um, not much is known about him that much, but uh, it's thought that he was a nationalist. He was um, a radical uh, Jew that was part of the Zealots uh, that wanted to overthrow the Roman dominance, so completely opposite to Matthew. So we have Matthew, who's the tax collector, who is kind of a pawn, as they see, of, of the Roman occupation. And then we have Simon, who is um, radically against the Roman occupation and wants to bring reform and, and revolt against the Romans. And it's amazing that these two characters could be united within Christ, that these two characters that believed these two things could put aside their differences and be classed as the 12, uh, the 12 apostles. Uh, and then last uh, and potentially least, we have Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Judas Iscariot is one of the most widely known disciples. He infamously betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which led to Jesus' death on the cross. Today, Judas is virtually synonymous with traitor. And as far as we can tell, Jesus was the only one of the disciples not from Galilee. He didn't start off any worse than the other disciples. Matthew was an extortioner. Simon was a rebel terrorist. The whole group of disciples or at least some of them were a good motley group of sinners. 
But something happened to Jesus. He turned from a disciple to a betrayer. He stopped loving the Lord and began loving himself and the money that he could get for himself. And ultimately, he sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Not mentioned in our list of 12 apostles is Matthias, who takes on the role of of Judas and once Judas dies uh, in Acts, the apostles appoint the twelfth apostle, which is Matthias. Um, not much is known about him other than he met Peter's requirements uh, for being an apostle. So that's a little bit about the apostles. Um, to be honest, we don't actually know that much about them. We don't know that much about what they went on to do, um, which I think is interesting that we don't actually know that much about them. In fact, most of the New Testament is about someone completely different called Paul and his letters. But when we don't get to hear about what these 12 apostles did, I highly doubt that the accounts of the 12 apostles were missed out of the Bible because they were without interest or notable, notable mention. In fact, other sources, Josephus and some questionable sources, tell us of some of the gruesome ends of the apostles. God, however, chose to leave these out when he ordained the wholly sufficient words of Scripture. So uh, when I was 18, I went to Bible college, kind of Bible college. Um, As an 18-year-old, moving to America, I went under some pretty remarkable and potentially miraculous circumstances. So I felt like God had big things for my life. I felt certain that God was going to use me in big and glorious ways. I always had it in my head that I was going to leave ministry school and I was going to walk straight into pastoring a megachurch. I was going to lead an international ministry uh, that I'd have thousands and thousands of millions of followers on Instagram and Twitter and I don't know, whatever the social medias are today, TikTok, tic-tac-tock, and that I would be remembered in the same Christian history books that I had poured over as an 18-year-old. I still believe that God has big things for me and that he is going to use me in big and glorious ways. I just think it now without the healthy dose of arrogance. These men were the pillars of the global church today. They evangelized vast reaches from Africa to India, Turkey to Russia, potentially England, or at least that's what we can piece together from other sources. But most of their stories are untold, apart from mostly unproven legend. It's most likely that no one will ever hear our story of our victories and our advancements for the kingdom of God. But who cares? When I leave this earth, I don't want fame or recognition. I want to know that I have served the Lord, just like the 12 apostles did. They aren't mentioned in the Bible about what they did, but it doesn't matter. Unlike the disciples, we are not called to lay down the foundations of the church. Our writings won't become scripture, and our names will probably be forgotten. But God has given us the task of sharing the gospel and furthering the kingdom of God. Let's jump boldly into our calling, and let us only seek fame on our Savior's lips. Amen. Well, let's pray. 
Father, I thank you uh, for the rich history that we have in this faith, Christianity. I thank you for your 12 apostles that you sent to build this church. I thank you for the many unnamed men and women who have laid down their lives, who have been martyred, um, who have served you. And I pray uh, that we would be in that number, that uh, it's not about fame and it's not about recognition, but that we would be those faithful people In that kid's song, I pray that when the saints go marching in, we'd be in that number. Amen.